Howdy and welcome to the 10-week Bible study. This is week one, day one of our study of Isaiah. I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and today we're talking about Isaiah 1, 1 through 15. Well, welcome back to the 10-week Bible study. Again, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs. And before we get started, I want to encourage you to remember to read Isaiah 10 times in these next 10 weeks. It really can transform your life. With that, let's go ahead and pray before we start today. Lord, would you open our eyes and our ears to hear what your word has to say to us. God, speak to us and fill our hearts with the knowledge of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With that, let's go ahead and jump into God's word. Before we do that, actually, I just want to say uh, for those of you that are following along as these come out, we've had a bit of a, a break, a little bit of a hiatus, but we're jumping into the book of Isaiah and I, I'm, I'm so excited to be doing this. Let me explain a little bit about what we're doing here is we're only doing the first half of Isaiah. I'm calling this Isaiah part one. We're going through Isaiah 33. There's 66 chapters in Isaiah. We're going uh, from chapters one through 33. And the reason we're doing this is I always like to encourage everyone going through the study to read whatever book we're doing once a week for 10 weeks. Isaiah is uh, quite a long book. And, uh, and, and it's not just that it's long, it's that it's not really narrative. Like so many of the other books that we do, there's uh, the longer books, things like First Samuel, maybe Genesis, there's a narrative to the book itself. There's, there's things going on where you can kind of follow the story and you can get into the story. Isaiah is not a book like that. You know, something like the book of Psalms, every individual chapter, every passage is actually very disparate, meaning they don't really relate to each other. Some of them do in the Psalms and in Isaiah, some of them do, uh, but most of them don't. And so there are all sorts of, of just different prophecies spanning different time periods about different time periods. And so it's actually a very difficult book to read, a very difficult book, challenging book to, to, to study and understand. And so because of the nature of Isaiah and how different it is from uh, more narrative books, we're splitting it in two to make the reading of it once a week for 10 weeks a lot easier. So reading Isaiah 1 through 33 once a week for 10 weeks is a lot more doable than Isaiah 1 through 66. And we'll come back at some point and do part two of Isaiah. We probably won't do that right after this study, but we'll come back to it. And so that is why we're doing Isaiah part one as opposed to doing all of Isaiah. It's just a very difficult book to study. We'll probably do the same thing with like the book of Jeremiah because it's, it's uh, Jeremiah has actually more of a narrative that does happen than Isaiah, but it is still a difficult book to tackle all at once. So with that, now let's jump into God's word. I'll be reading today from the NIV. This is Isaiah 1, starting in verse 15. The vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah son of Amos saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. All right, let's pause right there because uh, Isaiah is an interesting book. Isaiah covers, uh, like, while Isaiah is alive, his time frame covers a lot of kingdoms. Some one relatively long reign, and he's not prophesying during the entire reign of Isaiah, like 52 years, and then uh, three other kings, and and he's kind of in the early days of King Hezekiah, but his prophecies cover a very broad range of, of topics and 
time periods, uh, geographies. There's, there's a lot going on in this book. And so this is laying out kind of the preamble right here to Isaiah of when he's prophesying, but not necessarily just when he's prophesying to what he's speaking to. All right, with that, let's continue on verse two. Hear me, you heavens, listen, earth. Now, I want to pause right there again, because I find this, I find this fascinating, right? This is the, the introduction to the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah chapter one is something of, I, I don't know if you would call it a, the whole thing, a preamble or, or kind of the, the setting the tone for the entire book. I don't know what you would really call chapter one. It's a very interesting, unique thing, this chapter one. And we'll kind of get into this, this later here in the chapter. But what I find fascinating about this part right here, and this is the Lord speaking through Isaiah He's saying, hear me, you heavens, listen, earth, right? He's not just saying, listen, people. He's, he's talking to angels too, right? This is to everyone. For, for those of you that think that angels are just all knowing, all, you know, powerful beings, whatever, they're not. It's like in the book of Revelation, when, when John, the elder falls down at the feet of the angel, he's like, listen, get up. I'm a, I'm just like you. I'm a created being just like you. Don't worship me, worship the Lord. These heavens, the, the angels and all these created beings in the heavens, they are just that they are created beings. And the Lord is calling all of us to listen to these prophecies. And what I find fascinating about that is, is these prophecies, they have to do with earth. What do they have to do with the heavens? What do they have to do with the angels? But somehow in the way that the Lord has orchestrated this, this life and this existence that we have in him, the angels are tied in with all of this as well. And there's information in this book that the angels themselves also need to know. So he's not just calling our attention to it. He's calling all of the created order to attention, to listen to what Isaiah has to say. All right, continuing on in verse two. For the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master, the donkey its owner's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. So opening lines, right? God is saying, Israel has forgotten me, right? And when we we reread the story of, of the, you know, the the Kings and the Chronicles of, of the, really this time period of Israel's history. We've gone from, you know, Genesis through Exodus. They've been in Egypt. They came back. We go through the book of Joshua where they conquered the land, the book of Judges, where there, there are these judges that are raising up and the the cycle of turning away from the Lord, returning to the Lord, the Lord raising up a hero, a judge to save them, all of that. And then everything shifts under the the tutelage, I guess, of Samuel and Saul. They ask for a king, so they get Saul. And then the Lord kind of uh, says, I regret Saul. And he sets David's life, or he sets David's uh, lineage in in place as king over Jerusalem and Judah. And so this is where we're prophesying. This is where Isaiah is, is in Judah, in Jerusalem. And so we are in kind of the dynasty, David's kingly dynasty coming through here. And we're toward the latter end of David's kingly dynasty before the nation of Babylon is going to come and wipe out uh, Jerusalem and Judah in particular. 
the northern kingdoms, the, the other tribes that split away during Rehoboam's reign, Solomon's son or David's grandson, when that splits away, uh, they exist as two different nations. There's Israel in the north and Judah in the south, where Jerusalem is, where all this is taking place. And Assyria is already attacking during Isaiah's reign, is already attacking the northern tribes. They have not carried them away yet. They haven't destroyed them yet, but they're already attacking them. The Babylonian captivity isn't going to be for another 150 years-ish after Isaiah's uh, prophesying, or 100 years or so after Isaiah dies, somewhere in that range. And so there's some time left, but this is toward the end of uh, many hundreds of years of Israel having kings or Israel and Judah having kings sitting on the throne in their respective nation's capitals. And so Isaiah is saying, listen, you people of Judah, people of Israel, you've turned away from me, right? Even animals know where they belong and you don't know who you belong to. That's that's what the Isaiah is saying. That's what the Lord is speaking through Isaiah here. Verse four. Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him. Right? So this is pretty self-explanatory. Isaiah is prophesying to them that you have left God behind. You've left the Lord for other gods, for other things. I want to pause right here because I think this is important. Isaiah is not the one saying this. Now, Isaiah is the one writing this. He's the one whose who's lips and pen, ultimately, this is coming through. But this is very critical for us to understand how prophecy works. And this is biblical prophecy. This is, this is any kind of prophecy, right? You have got... God, the one who's speaking, then you've got the instrument through which he is speaking through, and that might be an angel. The Lord might be sending a message through an angel, uh, an intermediary to a person. The Lord might be speaking directly to Isaiah in some kind of revelatory fashion. Then you got who he's speaking to, and he's speaking to the people of Israel, but he's also, we're going to find out here, speaking to us in in various ways in this book. This is uh, the Lord's words coming through a human to an intended audience that at times will definitely be us and at times might not be us. Mostly it's going to be us. And so there is this this interesting process. And and so the reason I'm laying that out is because there's a lot of scholars out there. If you start doing research on the book of Isaiah, you're going to find a lot of people that say, well, Isaiah was saying this because he was angry about this political thing that was going on, or he was angry at Uzziah for uh, walking into the, the holy place in the temple, or you know all of these kinds of things which Isaiah might have been angry about different things. I mean, Isaiah is a guy, he's a person, he's a human being. And so he has temperaments, he has emotions just like anyone else, right? He may he had opinions, he had emotions about all sorts of things. But what we need to be careful with here is ascribing the Lord's words and the Lord's intent to Isaiah. 
And so this is where I like to, to, to lay this out, right? The Lord is speaking. He's using Isaiah as the intermediary in this process, speaking to, let's say, us. Um, Isaiah is a human. He's a human vessel. But in the case of Scripture, this is a, a very, very uh, well-preserved message from God. It is still coming through a human, but it's a very well-preserved message from God. And so we should not make the mistake of, of overly implying Isaiah's personality into the words of the prophecies of the book of Isaiah. Now, does that mean that Isaiah's personality does not come into play at all? No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. Isaiah's personality, his traits, this is, again, still a book written by a human being. Isaiah is relaying these messages given to him by God the best he can to us, but we also believe that all this is very divinely inspired. And so uh, what I'm saying is we cannot Overly, we, we cannot overly emphasize that. Well, this is Isaiah, you know, saying, you know, having his his uh, you know writing his ninety five theses, if you will, like uh, like uh, Martin Luther did his gripes against the Catholic Church at the time and indulgences. This is not that. This is not Isaiah saying these are the things that really irritate me. Right? That's not what this is. This is the Lord speaking through Isaiah saying, tell Israel, this is what's irritating me. So God is the one upset. God is the one who is is speaking these things. Isaiah is the messenger. And so, so many people will say, well, Isaiah is saying this because. No, the because is because God told him to speak these things. And that's the end of that. We cannot read more into why Isaiah is saying these things than the fact that God told him to say these things. Now, there may be times in the book where Isaiah says them in a certain way, or he might use certain figures of speech or different things like that, where that might be a little bit of Isaiah's personality being imbued into this. But the why behind every single word in this book is because God, God spoke these things to Isaiah. We cannot confuse those things. We cannot. And that is that is something that so many scholars, almost all of these scholars I'm talking about here, they are non-Christian. They don't believe in the Bible. They don't believe in God. But there are even Christian scholars, people who believe in the Bible, believe in God, and they still attribute a lot of what goes on in the book of Isaiah to Isaiah's anger, Isaiah's uh the political affiliations, Isaiah's, uh, uh, you know, irritations, um, his personality. And, and that's not the case. So does Isaiah's personality come into the book? Yes. Is the book primarily because of Isaiah's irritations and his personality? No, this is a book of prophecy. And that is so super important for us to understand as we delve into this. All right. Verse five, why should you be beaten anymore? Why do you persist in rebellion? Your whole head is injured, your whole heart afflicted. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there is no soundness, only wounds and welts and open sores, not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with olive oil. He's being metaphorical here. He's saying you, he's he's describing Israel as a human being. You've been beaten up, right? You're bandaged. You're just, you're a mess, right? You've been in a fight and you're a mess. This is a metaphorical. He's talking to Israel, but he's speaking to them like they're a person who's just been in a 13 round boxing match. 
Now we're going to move from metaphorical to in reality. Verse 7, your country is desolate. Your cities burned with fire. Your fields are being stripped by foreigners. Right before you, laid waste as when overthrown by strangers. Daughter Zion is left like a shelter in a vineyard, like a hut in a cucumber field, like a city under siege. Unless the Lord Almighty had left us some survivors, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been like Gomorrah. So we understand Sodom and Gomorrah, God completely wipes them out. Lot and his family, the only ones escape, and even Lot's wife doesn't truly escape. So Sodom and Gomorrah completely wiped off the face of the earth like with fire because of their wickedness. And the Lord here is 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 uh, saying, hey, if if the Lord had not been gracious to you, you wouldn't have any survivors. And so what's being spoken here is that Israel has suffered at the hands of foreign invasion because of their wickedness, because they've turned away from the Lord. And this is more than likely being prophesied during the reign of Uzziah, but this is not, this chapter one is not dated as such. So this could have been some random plucking from one of Isaiah's words. This, again, this prophecy itself kind of almost fits the entire narrative of Isaiah's life. But the interesting thing here is he's starting to liken the people of Israel, the people of Jerusalem and Judah to Sodom and Gomorrah. And Sodom and Gomorrah, this is like, uh, you know, this is Sin City. This is the worst of all of the worst in all of biblical history. We know that God wiped them off the map by raining fire, literally hellfire and brimstone out of the sky to wipe Sodom and Gomorrah off the map. We know that the wickedness was off the charts. The stories are all there about what they were doing. Uh, God dealt with them. And so it's like, this is the worst of the worst of the worst. And here Isaiah, speaking under the authority of the Lord, is comparing Jerusalem to Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's going to continue on here. Verse uh, 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Pausing right there. So directly the Lord is calling the people of Jerusalem, the rulers and the people of Jerusalem, Sodom and Gomorrah, right? We're alluding to that, right? That, hey, he's he's treated you a little bit like Sodom and Gomorrah, but listen, he's calling you Sodom and Gomorrah now. This is... Um, insult of insults in, I mean, not just for the sake of insult, but it's like the Lord is trying to jar them awake. Listen, you're as bad as Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm calling you Sodom and Gomorrah for a reason. Now, if you're Isaiah's audience, they're not going to take too kindly to this. Like if Isaiah is, is speaking, he's obviously, this is written down, but if he's spoken this out loud to anyone in the nation of Israel, this is grounds to kill the guy, right? This is calling them the worst of the worst of the worst. And so this is going to make almost anyone in Israel who doesn't have a humble heart to hear, it's going to make them very, very angry. We're going to see throughout Isaiah's life in this book that there's a lot of times he's going to make people very angry. He's going to suffer. In fact, all of the prophets suffered and Isaiah included uh, all, but really Jeremiah were martyred, uh, put to death in very, very gruesome ways. And Isaiah is no different. He was, he was murdered in a very gruesome way. 
Um, and so saying these things, they're not going to be popular, but they're the words of the Lord. And this is what the Lord is calling the city of Jerusalem and its leaders right now. Verse 11, the multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop. Actually, let's pause right there. So the Lord is saying, I don't need your sacrifices. And and when he specifically says, who's asked this of you, he's not saying that the Lord never asked the sacrifices. He's saying, who has trampled my courts? Right. And he's going to, we're going to kind of finish this passage. And then tomorrow we're going to get into the why behind all of this. But they're bringing offerings and doing all this stuff, prayers and all of this, yet they're behaving terribly. They're behaving terribly. Continue on verse 13. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feast and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. Let that sink in. The Lord just said, I hate these things that you do. The things that you're supposed to be doing for me, I hate them with all of my being. That's the Lord speaking to Israel about the things that he's commanded them to do. What would cause him to want to say that? Let's continue. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. Verse 15, when you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. We're going to continue that vein on tomorrow, but here's the, the, the basis of all of this is the Lord is saying, you're sacrificing, you're doing all these things out of obedience to me, but you're murderous. You're wicked. You're horrible in every other way. And so all of this stuff that you're supposed to be doing for me, it's meaningless. It's absolutely meaningless. We've talked about this on the on the broadcast before. We're going to revisit time and time again in this book. The Lord is not angry with Israel because they are sinners who are struggling with everything in their being to love God, but struggling with sin, right? When, when Jesus looks at Peter, he says like the, the, the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. That's not what's going on here. That's a very different heart posture, right? The spirit being willing and the flesh weak, very different heart posture than I pay my tithes. I pray, I do my sacrifices And so what if I take advantage of people and, you know, kill people to get them out of my way occasionally? So what if I'm doing the stuff that I'm supposed to do, right? If you justify yourself, if you justify the wicked you do by, by saying, well, I do enough good stuff here, that is not a willing heart. That is completely different. That is an unrepentant heart full of sin. That's a very different heart posture than someone whose heart is soft, loves the Lord, stumbles in sin, repents and runs back to God, as opposed to someone who is steeped in sin, unrepentant in sin, and makes excuses for their sin. That's what Israel is doing. That's the heart that the Lord opposes. Those two things cannot coexist. We cannot make excuse for our sin and be in fellowship with God or other believers. That's what's going on 
in Israel. And that's what the Lord's dealing with. And that's what he would deal with in our hearts as well. For the 10-week Bible study, I'm your host, Aaron Hibbs. And I'm really excited to jump into the study of Isaiah with you. And I can't wait to see you next time. Hey, thanks for tuning into the 10-Week Bible Study Podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, would you consider leaving a review for it on your podcast app of choice? It really helps other people find out about this podcast, and my heart is for people to fall in love with God's Word. Thank you.